Well, last Sunday we wrapped up the series titled Far Flung Faith. And I hope you got a lot out of the studies. We've looked at every step of what we discovered to be this ongoing cycle or process of faith. If you missed any of the four-week series or if you just need a refresher at some point, you can listen to them online via the Apple Podcasts and Spotify and a few others. And we continue to take a deeper look at our faith during our Bible study where we also take time to share personal encounters and experience with some faith-building opportunities. Please consider joining us next Sunday at 8.30 in the morning as we, we continue through this book, Just Enough Light for the Step I'm On. But this week's message is titled, Would You Rather? And it's inspired by, well, let me, let me go back a little bit and give you a little backstory. Anybody heard the term strong-willed child? Yes? <laughs> Synonyms for strong-willed are words like determined, resolute, strong-minded, right? These words seem good. They aren't bad, especially if the things you're determined to do or resolved to accomplish, if they're good things. But here are some other synonyms for the term strong-willed. Stubborn, obstinate, headstrong, inflexible, domineering, bossy. They don't sound as complimentary, do they? These are probably the the way we would describe a strong-willed person who doesn't agree with us. And the term is actually used to describe someone who is determined to do what they want, even if other people advise against it. So how many of us would say we have a strong-willed child? Or four? Yeah. (laughs) You didn't even look over to see if your parents were going to raise their hand. I'm not going to tell you what they did. (laughs) How many of us would say that maybe we were a strong-willed child? Yeah, get your hand up. I know you. I know your mother. You too. I see some smiling spouses. I want to remind you that we only speak for ourselves, okay? But let me tell you this. Our Heavenly Father has a bunch of strong-willed children, and I'm confident that he counts me among them. Now, professional psychologists advise parents of these strong-willed children to manage them by giving them choices to make, as long as whichever choice is made by the child is acceptable to the parent. Maybe you've heard this piece of advice. So, for example, if you want your kids to eat vegetables, you say, would you like broccoli or green beans with your dinner? Right? They get to choose. They think they have all this power, but you're really picking things for them. Do you want them to spend a little less time in front of TV? You say, would you like to read a book for the next 30 minutes, or would you like to color something? Do you see how this works, or at least in theory? Right? For us married folks, it may sound like this. Would you like to take the trash out now, or after I get mad at you for not taking it out now? <laughs> I see the spouses smiling. They're now nodding. So, yeah. <laughs> These same psychologists advise us, you don't punish for making bad decisions. You just allow the consequences. Your child doesn't want to do their homework. Well, sending them to the room may not bother them at all. In fact, maybe that's what they prefer. But not being allowed to participate in sports or social activity they're interested in because their grades disqualified them, that's a consequence. The difference is that the consequence is directly related to the offense. God, the just judge that he is, doesn't necessarily punish us, okay? But he does allow us to face the consequences for our sins. And some of these can be pretty, pretty harsh. So I think we all agree that God has a bunch of strong-willed children. They're running around the earth. And in fact, this isn't a new problem. And we'll talk about this in a few minutes. But I looked it up. It's estimated that there have been 108 billion members of the human race born in the world. I don't know how they can calculate that. But ever in the face of the world, there have been 108 billion people. And that's a lot of free-willed, independent thinkers that are generally like rather have control over everything than to concede control over anything, right? 
It's a lot of us. So this morning, we're going to take a look at the lessons we can learn from God as he managed the craziness that we've fostered in this world that he's created. We're going to look at the choices that we are free to make and the blessings or consequences that we face as a result of our choices. We're also going to look at a few of our favorite characters from the Bible and what they did with the opportunities that they had to make and how God responded to these. And next week in a message titled The Ruled Life, we're going to dive a little deeper in the commandments that God the Father has laid out for us and why he'd do such a thing as give us rules. But first, let's have a little fun. This is the audience participation part. Sometimes you're lucky and you get a candy. Sometimes you get picked on. This is a pick-on week. I need uh, three volunteers. You don't have to come up front. You don't have to confess your sins. I mean, unless you want to. This is that place. But you don't have to. So just three hands real quick. All right, Heather. All right, Becky. Al, okay. In no particular order. But we'll start with Heather. Would you rather have a dog that has a cat's personality or a cat with a dog's personality? Don't overthink it. A cat with a, a, with a dog's personality. Okay. Would you rather have chocolate taste like broccoli or broccoli taste like chocolate? You, your turn's coming. <laughs> <laughs> These are supposed to be examples of easy questions. <laughs> I lost your broccoli. Okay. All right, Becky. Would you rather live at an amusement park or at a zoo? Amusement park. Okay. Would you rather have an amazing talent but never be recognized for it or be famous for doing something dumb? <laughs> All right, Al. Um, would you rather be the funniest person in the room or the smartest person in the room? Smartest. Would you rather have free Wi-Fi everywhere you go or free coffee everywhere you go? Free coffee. Free. <laughs> Anybody surprised by any of the answers you heard? Not really? Okay. These are silly questions with some simple solutions, but what, what about the really tough decisions we have to make when it comes to our faith? The Bible tells a story of several people who had to make hard decisions, and we're going to look at just a few of them. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning, Genesis, in the garden, right? Genesis 3, 6 through 7. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, obviously, this was a bad choice, a huge mistake, right? It's worth noting that Eve sinned because she was deceived. Remember, Satan deceived her. But Adam chose to sin despite knowing better. Similarly, we too can sin because we are either deceived or we can sin just despite knowing better because we chose the wrong thing. Galatians 6, 7, 8 reminds us, says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. You see there's consequences for the choices we make. How about Joshua? And this is from the morning scripture that Sherry read, Joshua 24, 15. It says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you were living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Let me unpack this for just a second. 
um, they're getting ready to cross into the promised land, okay? And he's saying, you know, you can, you can worship the gods of your ancestors beyond the Euphrates. You know where we came from. You can go back to your old ways. Or the gods of the Amorites, whose land you're living. So you can do the ways of the world. And we talked about this last week, right? Don't be transformed by the world. Be renewed, right? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't conform to the world. It's like that. You know, we've come this far. Don't go back to that. And where we're at is just a, a benchmark on a way to where we're going. Don't be like that because you can do what you want. But as for me, we're going to serve the Lord. You know, sometimes we make bad choices and suffer the consequences. But many of these times, our gracious God blesses us and delivers from our own choices. Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land. But first he paused to give credit to the one who made it possible. You heard that in his words. He reminded them that it was God that had delivered them many times even though they did not deserve it. He challenged them to make a choice for whom they were going to serve, and then he professed his choice. I mean, that's an example of being strong-willed. Strong-willed is not bad. He was resolute, right? He was determined to be a follower of God and to put God first, not just in his life, but his family's. Also, we can be a good example. Proverbs 3, 31 through 32. It says, Do not envy the violent or choose any of their ways. For the Lord detests the perverse, but takes the upright in his confidence. You know, we often blame our children's poor decisions and bad behaviors on them getting in the wrong crowd. Anybody said that? Kids just running around with the, the wrong people right now. Sometimes we make excuses for ourselves when we do the same. Oh, you know, my coworker's a little bit, you know, sketchy. And while this is certainly possible, if we're completely honest, we soon discover that our child, or maybe it's us, have become the wrong crowd. It's not the people they're hanging around with. They're doing the same thing. So lead by example. Another example, um, Judas. And this is corrupt thinking leads to bad choices. Okay? Matthew 27, 3 through 5. When Judas, Judas, who betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. And return the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, what is this? Or what is that to us? That's your responsibility. He's saying, it's not, look, you did it, not us. So Judas threw the money in the temple left and he went away and hanged himself. Now it's evident from scripture that the choices Judas made, even before he betrayed the Lord, reflected his corrupt thinking that was based on his own desires at the expense of others. Sadly, like Judas, many people come to the realization that they have sinned, but their judgment has become so altered that the choices they make can even lead to their demise. In his case, you know, physical demise. Judas's consequences were the overwhelming guilt and remorse that he felt. God, likely brokenhearted by the decision Judas had made, I mean, God didn't find pleasure in this whatsoever. But he used the opportunity to place the sins of the world on his sinless son's shoulders as he died on the cross leading to the atonement of our sins. God can use everything for his good purposes. There's no way he would want one of his son's followers to betray him. But he said, if that's the choice you're going to make, then here's the consequences for you. But here's how I'm going to use it for the good of all people. And today we have salvation. How about Timothy? Now, I love the letters of Paul. Paul had a, a young friend named Timothy and he wrote several letters to Timothy. And Tim, Timothy was very young, and, um, and there's a lot of good information there. If you think you've got a, a, a child or a young person in life that, that 
really wants to go make a difference for Christ, and they just think that they're young and unqualified. There's some good advice that Paul has for him. But in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, I'll read this. This is a letter again to Timothy from Paul. It says, In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead. Well, how's that for a powerful intro, right? And in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. I have this image of this wind-up. You know, they're getting the, the ball ready to throw. He's like, okay. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, in the view of his appearing kingdom, I give you this. And then here comes the pitch. And he says, preach the word. <laughs> Be prepared in season and out of season. So at all times. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will put, not put up with sound doctrine. We shared this verse a couple weeks ago. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers that say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. See, in Paul's final years, he wrote Timothy to challenge him to continue to do the work that God had called him to do. In this letter, he warned that people will turn away from God, which is all the more reason to proclaim the word of God with increasing intensity and commitment. You have to work harder against this movement away from God. And we too must make the choice to continue to focus on what God has called us to do as believers living in a world that is now more than ever rejecting God. Some of it's very blatant rejection. Some of it's a very subtle, slow fade with being overly political correct. We're afraid to say the truth. We must choose as others before us to point out the lights of God's pathway for salvation because fewer and fewer are choosing the lit path. Now the Bible also tells stories of several people who made bad decisions and I'm going to point out just some of the good guys who made bad choices. Can't do that without thinking of David. David described the Bible as man after God's own heart, right? The greatest king, but he still wasn't perfect. And while we know that he loved God and pursued him, he had a share of faulty decision-making. And I'm not going to read every verse, but 2 Samuel uh, chapters 11 and 12 give a lot of this history of, of David. First, we read David staying home when he should be out with his army. Okay? Next, we read that giving in a lust and sexual drive, committing adultery with a woman married to one of his loyal warriors. And after that, he tried to escape accountability by plotting to have the woman be with her own husband, but failed. What was interesting was because his husband, Uriah, he was pulled out of battle where his, his friends and, and um, you know, the other people he was serving with were out in the field and, and dealing with all that. And he was back in this lavish palace and he could go to home to his own wife, as David told him to do. And, he said, and he, David found out the next morning he had slept there with the slaves, with the servants, because he didn't feel worthy to go home when all of his friends and brothers were out fighting and in the trenches. But eventually he plotted to have the woman's husband killed in battle just to cover his sin. David thought he'd get away with murder and adultery, but he was wrong. See, God confronted him through a prophet, and though he was unrepentant first, he did eventually yield. And it's from King David's lineage that we have our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now there's Solomon, who was David's son and the wisest king who ever lived, but he also made wrong decisions. Despite his supernatural wisdom described in the Bible, Solomon married wrong women. In fact, he didn't marry one wrong woman. He married so many ungodly women that they turned him away from God. 1 Kings 11, 1-3 tells us, But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, 
women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonites, and Hittites, from the nations whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts from after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Solomon was blessed with riches and supernatural wisdom, all right, but he did not exercise even the slightest hint of godly wisdom in choosing who to marry. Now, apparently, Solomon realized his great mistake and also realized what he lacked, and, and he did all this from Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. When you seek answers from the Lord in times of decisions, he'll guide your steps or he'll make some very obvious or he'll close the door. And sometimes that's hard when you're trying to make a decision to say, God, close the door for me because you so badly want that job, that relationship, that diagnosis, whatever it is, and say, you know, God, I just want this. But what if God's got something better for you? Isn't it a more faithful prayer to say, God, your will not mine be done? And that is so hard. These are such risky prayers. And this last one, Rehoboam, he was the son of Solomon. So now we've got a lineage, David and David's son Solomon, now Rehoboam, who is, who is Solomon's son. So bad choices are examples, right? But he never had his father's wisdom. He made the mistake of listening to childhood friends instead of the nation's elders. These young friends of his gave him wicked counsel, yet he listened to them anyway. And that should teach us to surround ourselves with the right friends and right influences. This is going back to the bad, the bad crowds part. But I want you to note two things about these men. First, God continued to use them despite their mistakes. Second, and this is a big deal, so listen close, he continued to love them despite their mistakes, just like he does us. My friends, consider the mistakes and poor choices you've made in your life, but don't dwell on them. They are forgivable. If you've asked God for his grace and forgiveness, it has been covered in full by the sacrifice on the cross. If you have not yet asked for forgiveness in one or more of these dark corners of your life, I challenge you to, to choose to do so today. Now, the same psychologist that gave the advice of offering choices to strong-willed children give additional counsel in dealing with them. They say use positive reinforcement. See, God loves to lavish us with blessings. He'd much rather catch you doing something right and honor you for your obedience than to watch you struggle with sin, anxiety, or fear. They say, pick your battles. Now, don't be fooled. God sees everything you do, you say, you think, everything. Don't trick yourself into believing it because you weren't immediately struck with a bolt of lightning from heaven that you got away with anything or that there won't be consequences. God picks his battles. Third, walk the walk. Let's be an example. Now, God sent his son to live and walk among us, not to condemn, but to save us. He is also is our example of how to live and act, not just for ourselves, but how to live and act in response to other people. We learn to walk the walk by studying his life and teachings and then applying these to our own lives. And lastly, give choices. And we talked about this. God blesses us with free will and the freedom to make choices. We live in a country that fosters this belief, but the Apostle Paul charges us and offers this warning in Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Now, I began this message with this question, would you rather? So let me conclude with this question. God asks, would you rather trust me or try to make it on your own and be responsible for the choices you make? 
God asks, would you rather worry about everything because you can't control anything or worry about nothing because you know that I am in control? And God asks, would you rather have an eternity in heaven or experience just a few years of superficial pleasure now? And God asks, would you rather believe that this is all there is or rest in my promise that I have a purpose for you that will bring you blessings, comfort, peace, and joy? My friends, if you have not made the choice to follow Jesus, or if you feel that you need to declare your decision again, I want to hear from you. God, like any good father, wants you to make the right choices, and he simply stands ready with his arms open to receive you. So don't choose to wait another day. Let's pray. Father God, life is full of so many choices, some relatively meaningless, what we're going to wear but God, some are, some are salvation-affecting issues. God, help us to seek you, not only to crave knowledge, but to crave wisdom, wisdom that is spiritually guided between what is right and what is wrong, what is good and holy and pure and what is not. God, as we make choices that are less than favorable, Help us to recognize those. Help us to stop where we are and repent. And that word means to literally do a 180, to stop and reverse ourselves, to find our ways back, to speak words of, of apology, ask for forgiveness from you. And God, help us to rest in knowing that you've got everything in your control. And although you allow some things to happen, and although we are in a fallen world that is subject to many things that, that are less than wonderful, God, you still are in control. Help us to seek you in all situations and to thank you in all situations, to pray without ceasing. God, as always, I want to pray for the empty places in the pew this morning, that you continue to fill them with people seeking you, seeking fellowship with Christians. God, I thank you for this building, these grounds, so beautiful. All those who were a part of building this church and this community, who gave their time and energy and gifts over many years, almost 40 years now. And I thank you in advance for those who come later. May this place always be the warm, welcoming, inviting, safe place to meet with you. God, I ask your forgiveness over all of our sins. I ask for your intervention where we need someone to, to step in and get us on the right path to identify where we're falling short of your expectations. God, help us as the strong-willed children we are to make good choices that honor you, to use our stubbornness and our resolution, our resolve to, to do things that are worthy of your blessing. We give this all to you. Amen.